You're listening to Spartan Up Podcast. We're going to interview somebody every week from all over the world and see what they did in their life to become successful, no matter how they defined it. We are here in sunny Pittsfield, Vermont for Spartan <laughs> Up Podcast. On my right, I've got Dr. Colonel Nye. <laughs> I've got, I've got Johnny Waite and I've got Sephra Levin. <laughs> I could be Levison for this Levison. one. Oh yeah, oh, you want to be Sephra Levison for this one. Well, yeah. how about this I'm guy? blushing. Does he fly yeah, a helicopter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so we're, we talked to Levison Wood, actually Dell did, yeah. right? Hey Dell. He walked the entire Nile yeah. and he had just escaped an alligator, I think, when we got him. Oh yeah, the stories this guy has are unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So you walked the entire length of the Nile. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Look, let's check it out. Yeah. Dendritic pattern. I'm here in London for Spartan Up UK and we've been joined by explorer Levison Wood. Lev, thanks so much for coming to chat to us. You've got an incredible story because you are literally fresh off the plane. Literally from... last night straight off the plane, yep. Tell us what you've been up to. Um, well, for the past nine months um, I have been walking along the world's longest river, the River Nile, through uh, six different countries, starting in the uh, highlands of Rwanda through Tanzania, Uganda, South Sudan, Sudan, and finally Egypt, which I returned from yesterday. Covered well over 5,000 kilometers. On um, foot? Entirely on foot. Oh. Um, it's been the most incredible adventure I could have ever imagined. So where did, where did, you, where did you fly into? Where did you start? Uh, I started way down here um, in Rwanda. Um, so Lake Victoria is generally sort of seen as the source of the White Nile. And then you've got the Blue Nile starts at Lake Tana in Ethiopia. So this is longer by pretty much twice the distance um, but actually Lake Victoria itself has got a few tributaries so I thought well if you're going to do an expedition like this go for the longest so the the longest tributary is the Kagera River so started here on the border with the Congo walked through Rwanda this part of Tanzania to the lake and then walked around that's where the swamp was I said walked around the lake to um, a place called Ginger which is where um, John Hanning speak in um, the 1860s sort of discovered the source of the Nile and then all the way through Uganda to South Sudan um, and this is the Sud Swamp which is the area that was erupted in, into civil war so I had to actually miss this bit which is a huge shame but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and do the the bit that I had to miss out at some point um, mm -hmm. as soon as the civil war finishes um, and then all the way through this is where the Sahara Desert the sort of this is obviously drawn on myself because this South Sudan got independence in 2011. Um, through the Sahara Desert, all the way around this, the Great Bend and the Bayuda Desert, into Egypt, around Lake Nasser, which is the second largest man-made lake in the world, and then all the way through Egypt. And that's where I was yesterday, just there. Just yesterday? Just yesterday, right there, Rashid. So the river itself is about 4,250 miles long, just to this bit. Um, and do you know every part of it? And I know pretty much every part of it, yeah. Did it feel strange to get back to civilization? then? Yeah, you know, walking around the lake, you know, all of this is basically desert. Um, and the river just cuts its way through it, and then finally arriving in Aswan. I mean, you know, when people think of the Nile, they think of sort of gin and tonic on the veranda or the felucca, <laughs> very Agatha Christie. Yeah. Um, whereas actually that's, you know, that's only this bit, the rest is just utter wilderness. 
And what made you what made you set about this challenge? Um, for me, uh, I mean, I've, I've done lots of big expeditions before, um, and my personal passion is walking as well. So I just love sort of long distance treks. Um, I'm really interested in not only the sort of the physical aspects, the, um, the sort of testing myself to the extreme, but also you know exploring a region in terms of its you know its environments and, and walking through different types of terrain. Um, and in, on this expedition, I've you know literally seen every kind of environment that Africa has to offer from jungles and rainforests through the world's biggest swamp in South Sudan to you know walking through the Sahara Desert in the summer um, so there's all those sides of things but also I'm interested in the people and the anthropology so um, meeting lots of different cultures and in this part of Africa you know there's so many different cultures and it's just a fascinating place some of the countries where tourists just don't go mm. to places because some of those areas are quite politically unstable absolutely yeah. are you not afraid um, well places like South Sudan I mean when I set off um, it was in fact just two weeks after I set off a civil war arrived. Uh, which caused lots of complications. You know, um, in Egypt there was the, the Arab Spring and the revolution there meant that very politically unstable. Um, and you know, of course, there are big risks involved in doing an expedition like this, um, and not just from a political and sort of you know bureaucratic point of view. Going through Uganda, going through national parks, there's lots of wildlife um, that, that can potentially really ruin your day. You know, I was walking through national parks where you've got lion, buffalo, elephants, um, really up close and personal. But I think as long as you do your homework and manage those risks, um, you know, whether that's making sure you've got armed guards in certain areas or park rangers which sort of mitigates against those threats, then mm. you can do it as safely as possible. There will be risks, but I think that's part of going on an expedition is embracing risk. And for me, that's what it's all about, because without those risks, you don't get the rewards that that can come of these things. Have you always been a bit of a risk taker? Uh, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was. I spent a number of years in the British Army, um, in the parachute regiment. So I sort of jumped out of planes for a living. So and, cut uh, for this. So I mean, that's it's a good training, you know, and uh, it gets you in the right mental frame of mind. Yeah. And what were the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome to achieve this? Um, some some really big. Like I say, physically, it was really tough. You know, um, having to walk big distances, 20, 25 miles a day, every day for weeks and months on end was, was the biggest physical challenge that I've ever encountered. Mentally motivating yourself to wake up in the morning and go and do that, um, spending you know long weeks on the road at a time where the environment doesn't necessarily change, you know, especially through the desert, it's just flat sand for weeks and weeks at a time, which can be quite mentally draining. Um, and as I said before, you know, the, the actual physical dangers. Um, but yeah, one of the biggest challenges was going through, you know, walking through a war zone um, through South Sudan, which, which was, you know, terrible seeing some of the things that's going on there. And it really, you know, it raises lots of questions, you know, it, do, should you be putting yourself in extreme risks? Should you be putting other people in risks as well? So yeah. um, lots of lots of challenges from different aspects. And you mentioned the word motivation. How did you mm. stay motivated? Did you have days where you woke up and thought, I just can't, I can't face this? Or Yeah, I think, you know, there were, there were a number of days when you really sort of wonder if you've bitten off more than you can chew. Um, but I think... I don't know, I'm quite stubborn. I think once I've set off on something like this, there's no way I was going to give up, really. Um, so it was never really in doubt, although there were times when I really just didn't want to be there, and it, it always felt like a bit of a prison sentence at times. Um, but how, did you, how did you cope with that? What, where did you, what did you think about? Um, try, I think the, the best thing to do is try not to think about anything, really. Try and sort of just turn your brain off, which can be you know, really difficult. The monotony, the boredom... Um, can be a real sort of mental taxation. Um, and for me, it was trying to, trying to find the positives wherever you go and, and actually be going through, a con you know, going through six different countries where extreme poverty 
you know, it's pretty evident everywhere you go. You kind of, you know, you're humbled all the time, and, and the people you meet, you meet incredibly friendly and hospitable people mm. um, who would literally rather die than drink before a guest. You know, it's that even in the deserts, you know, the Bedouin tribes that you come across, they would they would give you their last drop of water mm. rather Incredible. than drink it themselves. Which for me, you know, meant that it was a huge privilege, and no matter how difficult it was for me, these are the people that have to live there the whole time. So that's what kept me going. Absolutely, you've been you've been away for nine months. You said yeah, away nine from months, home. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest lesson that you? You've learnt about sort of creature comforts and being away from everything. <laughs> well, actually, um, I, I, you know, I've come to realise actually you don't really need much in terms of personal possessions. You know, there, there are certain things that that are nice to have, um, but along the way, you know, I, I was robbed. I had lots of stuff stolen. Pretty much everything I had in terms of technology broke at one stage or another. So you can get by. So you mentioned that you met some really, really difficult obstacles and yeah. challenges out there. Can you tell us about some of those examples? Yeah, sure. Um, probably the, the biggest um, tragedy that happened on the expedition um, was actually the death of a, a colleague on, on the expedition. Um, mm. A man called Matt Powers, who's a journalist um, from the States, came out to write about the expedition um, to Uganda. And unfortunately, um, he passed away whilst on the expedition with me, which was a huge, huge tragedy and a, and a terrible loss and a, a huge blow, obviously, you know, for his family and his friends. Um, and also, you know, it really does question, you know, is, is this, uh, is it what I should be doing? You know, putting people's lives at risk. What does success look like? Um, well, for the past nine months, it's been the Mediterranean Sea. That's what <laughs> success has looked like. And, and I was there yesterday, which was amazing. The most incredible feeling was walking that, those last few miles along the road. Uh, and then suddenly, just not really suddenly, it was gradually actually, you know, every mile I got closer, you could sort of smell the, the sea breeze and the temperature sort of dropped as you got closer to the ocean. And then there it was, suddenly just incredible. How has it been being back in civilization then? Uh, well, I've only had a few hours here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and spent the Spartan up. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's always nice to come home and have a nice cup of tea and a, a piece of toast. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. So we're actually having tea. Um, we're deliberately putting Lev out of his comfort zone because he has been on this long expedition. He doesn't normally have tea on a Louis Vuitton case. No, I don't. This is a wonderful uh, change to the norm for me, so thank you. And you've been roughing it for, for nine months. Nine months, yeah. yeah so Why? This is nice. Why? Um, for me, I think... You know, it's just worth the risk, you know, for, for, even though it's been hard and the most you know, incredible challenge um, physically, mentally, in every way, uh, it's just worth it, you know, that feeling of achieving something that's never been done before. But also, it's, it's not just about world firsts and breaking records, it's about, you know, genuine exploration. You know, I was going to places that haven't seen human beings in 10,000 years, you know, walking through the Sahara Desert and you suddenly come across um, shawls of pottery that were there from prehistoric times or um, seeing the fact that you come across pieces of petrified wood which meant that the Sahara Desert was a, a forest uh, millions of years ago and just seeing these things for yourself is just a phenomenal and very humbling feeling so for me it's about you know it's about seeing things that very few people have been able or have the privilege to be able to see before um, and those are the times that, it, that it's worth the risk. Um, and of course, you know, uh, being in a very privileged position to be able to document an expedition mm. um, and, and show that to the world and hopefully, you know, enlighten a few people and encourage people to do their own expeditions or, or whatever they want to do, follow their own dreams. 
And you've brought a few things with you, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, just literally just unpacked I literally unpacked today. this, so this is in no particular order. Um, Talk us through <laughs> what you've brought. I've got a few maps. Um, actually, as I said, for the most part, I'm always actually using sort of digital maps on okay. phones and tablets, but it is always good uh, if, you, if you get really lost to have a, uh, you know, a nice map of Africa uh, so you know where, where the main places are, and also just to sort of show people the scale of what you're doing and Fantastic. point out, I'm here, that's where I'm going. And because a lot of people in the villages, people find it more impressive that you're walking to the next village than, than saying I'm walking to the end of the Nile because they just don't know where it is. Why Africa? Was there a reason you chose Africa? Well, the Nile is, is the longest river in the world. And for me, the most fascinating because it passes through so many different countries and cultures um, that it's just a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to undertake some genuine discovery and exploration. Um, and some of the bits that I mentioned, a petrified forest, this, this piece of wood um, is now stone. Have a feel, you can see how... Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's millions of years old, wow. um, which proves again that the Sahara like Desert... It really yeah. does feel like rock. This is a 200 million year old piece of coral, which again has turned to rock, which uh, you know, fascinates me. I just like bits of rock. So you decided your pack wasn't heavy enough. <laughs> exactly, you <laughs> needed some extra weight. So we picked some weight up along the way. Got some, got some maps That feels here. actually like, like a steel pipe yeah. or something, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, these are actually some maps that I used um, because in places like South Sudan, it's the world's biggest swamp. Um, the, the resolution just isn't good enough on digital maps. Nobody's actually done any proper aerial surveys, so you have to go back, back to basics and places like that and use a, um, a decent pilot's map. How hard was it to navigate in that kind of place? It, very difficult, very difficult, because you, you, there's so many channels and waterways that you know you can walk for 10 miles in one direction and then just be faced by an impenetrable swamp, which means that you either wade through it and risk the crocodiles, or you have to walk all the way around, and you know, sometimes you've got to make those, those decisions. Um, this is a spot tracker, um, which sends out a, a sort of uh, signal every few minutes, which tells um, whoever's interested that you're there or not there. There's an SOS button in case you get into trouble. Um, and for me, because I was making a doc documentary, um, I did have a sort of backup crew in London tracking my progress, putting it on a map so that um, my exact route can be followed. Were you ever out there completely alone? Um, as a well through Egypt, I had to do parts on my own as well. Yeah, um, most parts I had local guides because um, good for translation. Obviously, you know translation, and I think that by having local guides, you know you you get more out of it. Mm -hmm. So there were times I was on my own, but um, most of the time it's nice to have the company. Um, sweat rag. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be. Helped. This is this is this looks like a pen. It's actually a camera. Um, a lot of places, you know, I just couldn't get the right permit to, to, to be able to film so um, to make the documentary I had to do some undercover filming. Um, That's pretty gritty. <laughs> and you know sometimes we I got arrested as well quite a few times along the way and that can cause problems so it's, <laughs> it's good to sort of go a bit covert. GPS, got to make sure I don't get lost. Um, it's a bit embarrassing but you know it's always good to have an old SS survival guide. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Did you learn anything from this along the way? Well, you know, it's just which flat, you know, plants you can eat and oh, yeah. how to sort of uh, rub two bits of wood together to make a fire. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of just in, just in case you forget. <laughs> Get the basics right. Um, this is a British Army um, first field dressing. Um, not not pilfered at all. You know, this is did you did you pick up any injuries out there? <laughs> um, I got uh, jiggers, which is basically a uh, worm that burrows itself under your toenails in mm. Uganda, which was. Uh, rather unpleasant and I sort of chop the end of my tail off with a razor blade to get this worm out because they can they can be quite nasty. Um, That's pretty gritty. Yeah, but this is in case you get shot. I didn't luckily get shot. Um, 
Right, so this is a you know, secret money belt so you can hide your money on the inside in case you get robbed. This uh, is just did. standard basics for a, for a holiday. <laughs> exactly. Um, what else have we got here? The usual stuff, you know, head torches, um, pen knives. This is this is a good little mobile battery you can charge your, you know, your phone or your camera off. Um, so how much yeah. weight did you actually have to carry? It depended on which sort of environment. I mean, there's, there's loads of stuff in there, but yeah, I mean, it, I think for the, for the earlier stages when I was in the mountains, I needed to take a lot more stuff because you need a tent, you need a, a proper sleeping bag because it was actually quite cold, you need waterproofs because it was raining all the time. Um, and that was probably 20, 25 kilograms. Um, so, you know, quite a significant, pretty, a significant pretty heavy, weight. Yeah. Um, as I sort of progressed, I started to dump stuff. So I didn't need necessarily, you know, I didn't need a tent in the Sahara. You can just lie out in the sand, which was nice, apart from when the scorpions came. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, or just a mosquito net sometimes. Um, get rid of the sleeping bag when it got warmer. So I, I got more light, uh, you know, light scales along the way. By the time I got to Egypt, I was literally just carrying a little sort of mini day sack uh, which had um, you know my camera in and, and the basics because one change of clothes and off you went so because you can stay in small guest houses or with with families there amazing so. and have you have you always been this gritty do you think it's something that you've had innately or is it something that you can learn uh, I think anyone can learn it you know it's um, I've always had a you know an interest in, in the outdoors and um, and exploration in general. I studied this sort of Victorian explorers when I was at university, and you know did my did my background reading from from when I was a young kid. Um, but you know it's definitely something that you can learn. These are just you know all this sort of stuff, and being able to survive in the wild is, is skills that you can pick up. Um, Does anything actually put you out of a comfort zone? Uh, oh no, I was definitely out of my comfort zone <laughs> a lot. Um, but it's about uh, overcoming that. It's about overcoming your fears and just pushing yourself and. and it, you know, the first step is the hardest, and actually, uh, you know, I wasn't the, the expedition wasn't confirmed. I think until about three and a half weeks before I set off, I didn't have the funding, I didn't have any of my equipment in place because I couldn't didn't have any money to buy it, and um, it was all up in the air. It was that uncertainty, you know, that just was really difficult. And actually, once I'd set off, things got things got easier. Um, you, you could have, I mean, did you at any point realise that you you could have died? at any point throughout this? Oh yeah, several times. I mean, you know, like I say, I had a terrible experience where, where um, the guy that was joining me died. Um, and there were, there were plenty of times when I came very close to, to things happening. You know, in Uganda, there was, uh, we got, I got chased by a crocodile, um, got charged by a buffalo, um, elephant. Um, I got shot at in South Sudan uh, quite a few times. Um, we walked through a minefield in South Sudan in in Egypt the traffic's so bad that even crossing the road is probably the most dangerous thing in the entire expedition. I've always had a real interest in areas that are a bit off the beaten track or um, post-conflict zones. I set up a company when I left the army um, that specialises in taking people to very remote places and um, and I think it's important working with sort of local uh, tourism authorities that simply don't get tourists. You know I've been taking people to as a guide to Afghanistan and Iraq for the past three years, um, which means you know obviously they, they really need help in these places, and I think by encouraging people to to go there, you know it's it's good for both the local economy, but also opening people's minds. You know, not everywhere just because you see it on the news, it's not always the truth that people are hearing. Okay, so give us an example of a day on mm. your expedition. Um, okay, I think one day that really sticks out in in my mind was um, arriving at Lake Victoria. Um, after walking for about 700 miles through 
the mountains and jungles of Rwanda and Tanzania. Um, we just actually, myself and a local guide called Boston, we'd been we'd been walking for about 20 miles, and we we got lost basically. We were stuck in in um, in a swamp effectively, and it got deeper and deeper in there, and the reeds got higher and higher, and they were well above our heads. And we we spent about two hours just hacking through this swamp, and. Um, there were a couple of times where I fell in and the water was up to my neck and Boston fell in as well and then suddenly we saw um, the the skin of what looked like a snake and we, we sort of joked about it saying, well, you know, this is probably quite nasty python territory um, and this, you know, if, if one of those things wraps itself around you, you're a goner. Um, and he was like, no, no, they, they, they don't come in here, but we carried on and carried on. And eventually, after a couple of hours, we, we emerged onto the beach and saw Lake Victoria, just the most incredible sight, and we, we found this village. And just, we'd just been joking about the snow, and, and on the ground we saw, pinned out, um, a 21-foot python, <laughs> a dead python. I mean, the skin had just been pegged out by the locals. Um, and it was just huge, I mean, it's like six metres. And the locals were all there, uh, just sort of sitting around, and we said, like, uh, that's a python. You're like, yeah, where, where, where'd you find that? And it was literally just the swamp that we'd been hacking through. Um, and you know, they were, they'd all they'd eaten the meat. They were going to sort of sell the skin, and it was just a real sort of reminder just how dangerous this could be. But it was actually really nice to be able to just go and sit down with these locals and you know eat a bit of snake, <laughs> and, uh, and you know just have a good chat with these with these guys who you know live in really harsh conditions. They had nothing, you know, and had to were forced to go and you know eat their own whatever they could find just in, in the bush really and, and they were saying how this, they, the only reason they'd managed to catch the snake was because it had sneaked up and uh, eaten one of their goats um, the night before. Um, so that was the kind of thing that it, these amazing just incredible stories happened every day of the expedition, something new was around the corner. Um, so it was just really interesting. What was the best thing that you ate? The best thing I ate, well I know the worst thing I ate was bush rat, that was pretty <laughs> disgusting, it was like eating rubber. Um, the best thing I ate, wow, uh, Egyptian bread was quite nice, and Sudanese fool, which is like uh, refried beans, is quite nice. Okay, so the other question we always love to ask people is, is what does the word grit mean to you? Mm. Grit, I think it means not taking no for an answer. It's, it's sticking to your guns and just going for it. And basically sometimes you just got to tell other people to stick it. Because <laughs> they don't know, you know, you're the only person that knows what you're capable of. And sometimes you don't even know what you're capable of until you've tried it, so you've just got to go for it, and that's what, that's what grit is. You've mentioned some of the local people, the local populations that you met. Yeah. How do they compare? Well, I mean, I just had the utmost admiration for everyone that I met along the way. You know, sometimes we'd have local guides who would you know, tell, you know, show me to the next village 20, 30 miles away, but they were doing it barefoot, you know, and <laughs> it was just amazing. And they'd be, you know, often like, oh, I'll, I'll just carry my... Uh, you know, pile of firewood to the next village, and they'd have this huge, you know, 30 kilogram bundle of firewood walking with me, having a good chit chat, smiling and joking along the way, barefoot, you know, in rags. And it's just like, wow, you know, you are nails. And, uh, and I met people like that all the way, you know, fishermen that spend, you know, that go out swimming with nets. They don't even have a boat, they'll go out with nets in crocodile infested waters. And they're like, well, we don't have a choice, you know, I can't afford a boat, I need to eat, my family needs to eat. I will take that risk. So risk for me is one thing, but risks for the guys that I met along the way is just, that's a lifestyle. It's not just a lifestyle, it's a life. They don't have any choice. So I came away, you know, really realizing that I'm, you know, you've got to be really grateful for what you've got. What advice would you have for somebody who's facing some kind of a challenge or mm. obstacle? It may not be this big, but 
just any kind of challenge? Uh, you know, I think stick with it is, is, the, is the only piece of advice that you need really because there are so many things that will get in the way, obstacles, and so many people will say you can't do that, you know, it's, it's impossible. Or, um, you know, the, 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 sometimes you, you won't necessarily have the enough belief and you think, oh, this is just not going to work. But if you stick with it and, and really persist, then you can make it happen and, you, you know, there will be uh, challenges that need to be overcome and it's not easy it really isn't you know but like I say the, the the hardest thing is stepping off in the first place once you get there that's the enjoyable bit fantastic thank you very much thank you very much for speaking to Thanks us Lynn. so that was wonderful but Joe quickly there's no alligators in the Nile it's crocodiles same shit obviously from a, <laughs> same, same thing alligator crocodile. You, it's but, the same thing, yeah, same thing. <laughs> but uh how awesome i mean if you zoom up and see like the dendritic patterns of rivers the nile is huge i mean six countries five thousand miles a marathon every day going through all those ecosystems seeing all those different plants bursting on the alluvial soils i mean what <laughs> what an amazing journey yeah what, what, what an amazing vocabulary <laughs> Oh, thank uh, you. It's ecology. Alluvial? Alluvial. It's like the rich soils from like when everything washes out down the river. Okay. It means like why was why is everyone uh, why are all the big civilizations on the Nile near the Nile? They need water for water, irrigation. Right. They need right right for your farming for life. Megafauna. Really, I mean, when you think about the things, what do you say? He got shot at. He got uh, charged by bull elephants. I mean, I mean everything, much, that, everything that can every, happen. Yeah, everything Journalist that could died. go wrong would go wrong. Um, yeah, which makes me wonder how much study he did before he took the journey. I mean, <laughs> South Sudan, that's a really serious situation. You know, there's a there's an amazing, um, he was a child soldier. He got brought out. His name's Emmanuel Jal. I invite you all to look up who that person is. But, um, you know, I mean, that's a really, that's a really intense situation. And you have to think, now we think walking and trekking, like most of those nations, they wouldn't go beyond their villages. But what is it? Bipedal transportation was the main form of transportation forever up until what? Bicycles and Mr. Ford. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but like the meditative walk of walking and going through the boredom, as he talks about and all this, used to be part of our humanity. I keep thinking Months. about the uh, transcendence run in Queens, New York. It's oh, 3,000 yeah. miles around a one mile loop. I yeah. wonder what's worse than Isle or, oh, I, oh. I, I think at least an Isle keeps your mind out. No, Although, better. But, but that's an interesting right. point though, because we, we think about you know walking the Nile just being nonstop excitement and being shot at and everything else. He talks about days after days of nothing happening, walking 25, 26 miles a day, and nothing happening. Boredom's something I don't really understand, Johnny. I mean, like, I get people say, I've never been bored a, a nanosecond in my life. I mean, what a luxury. I mean, well, even let, when let, you're let's on nature, bird language. Let's do an experiment. You, know, you, you just keep talking. I want to talk about how he was like uh, Indiana Jones. Did feel a bit like Indiana Jones. He just sat there, as Johnny said, cool as a cucumber, just sitting there having his tea, just talking about it. And then, But I liked... And you guys, because of the adventure racing, you know this and stuff. He stripped down that that ruck, that pack, yeah. And just the little things that are in there that give you comfort when you have nothing else. Duct tape. Yeah, you know, just the little <laughs> things that you need become so much more important to you. Yeah. And they take on kind of a much bigger role than you know when you're here, uh, and and you just know where everything is mm -hmm. in that ruck, and you know right where to get to it. And you know how important it is to you. It, Life, get, life, life, gets a, yeah. you know? life gets a lot simpler. There, oh, it does. Kind of a cool visual you talked about, too, about the idea that he had this huge pack that weighed 65 pounds, but by the end it was down to it a little day pack with nothing. And you can just picture him practically sprinting with nothing on his back when he could smell the salt from the ocean yeah. at the very end. Yeah, so it was, it was a cool progression. You could see that and kind of hopefully how we had life traveling light. Well, so when you guys go into adventure races, right, if you're in the woods or something, coming back out into society is kind of a little bit of a shocker. Yeah. A little letdown. Oh, huge. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have interviewed him two days later. 
Because two days later, you'd be a bummed out guy, right? Yeah. Because it's like, I just want to be back on the Nile. So she probably caught him at the right time. We were still a little bit high from Go it. Go back and see how he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the National Geographic. Oh, 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 but he's got a big beard. He doesn't look, it doesn't look like James Bond anymore. <laughs> yeah. instead, of, instead of going back two days later to talk to him, maybe, uh, maybe we could read about it. Oh, yeah. That's oh. Right. But, yeah, his book's come out since then, hasn't book? it? Walking the Nile? Walking the Nile, I believe. By Levison Wood. Yep. For show notes, video, and audio of this episode, visit SpartanUpPodcast.com backslash 044. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Race. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.